0: My name's Adele Yango, and welcome to another episode of Legally Clueless. No, seriously, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. Hey you, welcome to episode 150. Those are many episodes, <laughs> but I'm really glad that you're listening to this one. And if this is your first time ever listening to the podcast make sure you join our online family across our social media platforms so that's facebook instagram you can check out the links to those pages in this episode's show notes on twitter we don't have a page but if you want to chit chat about the podcast just use the hashtag legally clueless it makes it super easy for me to stalk you <laughs> also check out our youtube channel which has the second season of our video series ongoing in fact we're down to the last four episodes super excited you can watch season two season one and our tour series on our youtube channel again links to that are in the show notes okay back to this episode this is what's coming up and at that
1: time i was two months sober i remember telling my boy that yo i need to go to the bar now so since that day my drinking changed there was drinking because i was in a way grieving i only drank fridays and saturdays so i'm on antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication now we didn't have the conversation with my then psychiatrist about if you're on the meds you don't drink i'll drink fridays and saturdays only i never drank you know between monday and thursday and, and so i don't drink on sundays but the feeling of lowness anxiety with a hangover tends to linger for a very long time the first uh, three months were really hard because most times again where you're meeting people is in a bar setting everyone's ordering 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 what are you drinking and i'm like Yo, i'm taking a ginger ale. what do you mean you're taking a ginger ale?
0: Why? that is edgar's story that's coming up a little later in this episode he's been on the podcast before i want to say episode 23 if i'm not wrong talking about childhood trauma and ptsd but this one a hey. I don't know, I connected with so much, and so much was so insightful to me. But anyway, it's coming up a little later in this episode. This week, the song that I want you to check out... Oh, even how I discovered this artist. Anyway, so somebody that's very dear to me, whose taste in music, I'm always laughing at. <laughs> introduced me to this artist, and now I really love her music. <laughs> but I can't say it too loudly, and here I am, saying it on my podcast. Anyway, her name is Lian Lahavas. I hope I'm pronouncing... Her name, right? And the song that I want you to check out is called Can't Fight. It's so. The vibe is is quite right. And the lyrics, I've noticed with her writing, they're phrases that are so poetic. So I really enjoy stumbling on them as I listen to her music. But I've got a link to that song in the show notes. It's Can't Fight by Leanne Lahavas. So before we get into 100 African Stories, there's one thing that I wanted to share with you about boundaries. I know this is a conversation that has probably come up in your various spaces or maybe it's just something that's lingering in your head and it's around boundaries specifically with family or people that are very close to you, like drawing up your boundaries, you know? And the reason I'm sharing this is I do have a family member who I feel just uses people for money, asking for money, which is a bit uncomfortable, especially when, A, I start to feel used, and then I start to feel like you're using my sisters, you know, that type of situation. So it has taken me a long time to get to this point, but I have drawn up very clear boundaries. It's something that I only learned how to do through therapy, where it's like, okay, you drop your boundaries, write them down in my... (laughs) For me, it has to be written. (laughs) These records. No, so I write them down and then I communicate it to the person and I found that that is a very important step that sometimes maybe you don't have the energy to do thankfully I've never experienced that but it's important so that the person knows this is a boundary that you don't cross if you cross these consequences yeah so you set the boundaries you communicate them and then the hard bit is sticking to your boundaries no matter what and you'll find that especially when it comes to family in many African countries cultures I'd say we hardly ever have conversations about drawing up your boundaries especially when it comes to family because it's almost like whatever any family member no matter how (laughs) distant whatever they do their family you take it but sometimes you've got to ask yourself at what cost you know what I mean so you set the boundaries communicate them and then you stick to them this is so important I know like Many people say, oh, protect your PCS, yes, very important. But I think even more than that is to protect your space. OK, so it could be physically what comes into your physical space. It could be the energy that you allow into your space. And you've got to be so intentional about that because ultimately nobody's going to look out for you more than you yeah so i, I just kind of wanted to share that because it's a conversation that i had at a point this week with my therapist anyway a 100 african stories yes that's it first Edgar is one of my favorite humans i think we've known each other for uh, hiya hey, is it 15 years or six wow <laughs> anyway i'm not here for a wife. <laughs> Math is shocking me. We went to Saints together. I was a year ahead of him, and we used the same school bus because I think his stop was right after my stop and then our mothers knew each other i think vaguely i'm remembering that anyway so this particular story that he shares is about quitting alcohol he's well at the time of this recording he'd been sober for two years and five months a hundred african stories on legally clueless stories from africa
1: 18 october i lost two friends in a span of two days, like two days apart. And how this happened was the first lady, she called Christine. So Christine had leukemia and we were on a WhatsApp group with her. And uh, she texted us on the group asking guys to go and donate blood at Nairobi Hospital. So a couple of us went the day after, donated. We went up to the wards, we saw her and she looked seemingly good. She was not even lying in bed. I mean, she was sitting on the bench, she was in home clothes, like she was good. She's been talking to her cousin and we told her, yeah, we've donated. Everything should be good. Let us know how things go afterwards so that we can come visit you. So I went home and then that night I ended up in hospital again because I made the mistake of working out after donating blood, which i are not meant to. I don't know how I forgot that, but yo, it happened. So I landed in hospital and I uh, turned out I had an infection because of what I'd done. Anyway, two days later, I get a call that she's passed and that hit me really hard because i mean i'd just seen her literally i'd just seen her two days ago and we talked to the whatsapp group and she was seemingly okay then uh we broke the news down to guys on the group and then a day and a, a day after that now to get the two days second person passed away when we're in the same group as well so in one group we lost two people and at that time i was two months sober so i got the news i was at i was at a local bar Just next to where I live. Uh, I was a buddy of mine, and my cousin called me crying that, you know, uh, this other friend of ours passed away. So I remember we left the local, we went to Karen Hospital, and when we got there, it was just chaos because of the circumstances under which she passed. So we were quite a number of us from where she lived, friends who were around the area, and came. Uh, And I remember after current hospital took her. I remember telling my boy that yo, I need to go to the bar now. So since that day, my drinking changed. There was drinking because I was in a way grieving, and then also because I have a history with childhood trauma. So all these things resurfaced. I guess their death was a trigger, you know, um, and under the circumstances under which they passed. I it triggered people who have lost in the past under the same circumstances, you know. I only drank Fridays and Saturdays, but I kept realizing that along the way, I kept pushing my limits a bit more. I was always good at handling my liquor. I I knew when to stop and and just maintain where I was at so I don't get too drunk. But now I started pushing my limits just a bit more. And then someone anti-depressants and anti-anxiety medication. Now, we didn't have the conversation with my then psychiatrist about if you are on the meds, you don't drink. So my medication had also just been changed. So when I drink and keep passing my limits, like I'd be, when I'm drunk, I'm usually a happy-go-lucky guy, full of life, dancing all over the place, socializing, and then because I know so many people, so I'm always all over the place. But now comes the day after. The day after comes with a, a crash. You know, you, you crash totally, you have no energy, you're hungover. then you're in a very, very, deep, you know, in a low mood, so the depressive mood comes in then you add the fact that I also would get really anxious. So my anxiety presents itself with heart palpitations, a constant chest pain, and then tension Mm -hmm. around my throat. So that feeling would not go away until maybe three days. And so this went on for a year. So in June 2019, I traveled with some friends to Busia. And when we got there, it was more like a a bender. It was more, yeah, it was like a, a bender binge. And so we got there Friday afternoon, probably that Friday we drank till two, three, slept, woke up the day after, we had a funeral to attend, so we attended that, and then we were done with everything by around three, so by five, we started drinking again, again because it's western, you know, there's what we call the disco matanga, so you know, you celebrate this person's life, and it was a whole, it was a whole thing. We drank again, I think, till about two. And my plan was because Busia is really far. We leave Busia probably by seven. I was waking up at eight, which is fine. Uh, things, plans change. You just readjust. So we got up, got ready. Uh, we said we left Busia probably around 10.30 And had to pass by my uncle Shags on the way. So we uh, left, got to my uncle Shags. We had lunch. We killed an hour, two hours. I immediately left this guy's house. Man ate, poured. I could barely see a hundred feet ahead of me. And this was for a journey of, that like, could take, could, between there and let's say Nairobi, would have been about four hours. It took me six hours to get to Nairobi. So I got to Nairobi, you'd think I'm, you know, tired and I should be going home, you know, after dropping guys home. But I got home, you we know, only dropped one person. And now we're four of us remaining in the car. And I'm like, yo guys, I don't feel like going home. And it just took one guy to say, me too. And that was it. We went to the club. Drunk again until like three in the morning. Uh, so this time around now when I got there, I'm the, I gave my boy the keys. I told him, I've done the driving, I'm done. Now you drive me home. So we drank till three, get home, or rather I'm dropped home. I, I don't remember much that happened. I, I slept and when I woke up, it was about 10 in the morning. And I really, really just, I hated myself so much. I'd hardly slept. I had been to Busia and back, and then I was driving. Then there's the fact that I had, I'd also not eaten very well throughout that trip. And then i had a lot of anxiety at that time because we had a couple of things that were going on at home that i didn't like you know so now you wake up and you know life has slowed down you know it's monday there's people who are going to work you're there in bed and you're hating yourself and you're hungover you have no energy there's nothing going on and you're like nah man i don't like this so this went on monday tuesday wednesday i call a friend and i asked her if we can have lunch because i was going to wash the car and the girls where we could have lunch was somewhere nearby so we we have lunch and i tell her and i take her through what happened over the weekend but this is something that i had been noticing over the year you know uh since my two friends had passed that i would drink fridays and saturdays only i never drank, you know between monday and thursday and and so i don't drink on sundays but the feeling of lowness anxiety with the hangover tends to linger for a very long time Um, i'm recovering on wednesday you know so i've really lost half my week and then the thing is that when you get to you know it's wednesday morning fine you go through wednesday when you get to thursday you're already seeing friday so your hype comes in again and and then the cycle just kept going on and on and on and I uh, nah, didn't like this so she told me what i could do is just take a break from drinking rather than saying you're quitting because it looks like you'll be setting up yourself for failure and then again in in man, you tell guys i've quit alcohol nah, nah, nah. start tomorrow Start next week. For today, let's just drink, you know, and you keep postponing and postponing and postponing. So show me, just take a break. Let's see how that goes. So that break started that weekend. By the second weekend, now it was, okay, this feeling is not so bad. You know, I, I get to sleep early. I get to wake up really early because I'm an early riser and I have energy when I wake up. So I'm like, okay, this is not so bad. So now this sobriety journey started, you know, and now dealing with sobriety has been... I guess really, really interesting. You know, the first uh, three months were really hard because most times, again, where you're meeting people is uh, in a bar setting. Everyone's ordering, ordering, ordering. What are you drinking? And I'm like, I'm taking a ginger. ale. What do you mean you're taking a ginger? Why? Take a beer, take a double, take a shot. I'm like, no, I'm on a break. Just give me a soda. I'll be good. Or give me juice. I'll be good. And it took a while before guys, like my inner circle especially, for them to believe that I was actually not drinking you know and I've made this decision not to drink so for them at least they, they adjusted quick and I thank them for that you know uh, they didn't push me to drink when I said I didn't want to drink now it's again you still have to navigate social life so it gets to a Friday and it's so-and-so's function you know and there's an after party at whatever club you show you when you're let totally at the shop so you go to this club and you're sober but there is so many people in this place. So anxiety checks in. So I realize, oh, damn, this is social anxiety. Okay. And I'm too aware of my surroundings. Too, in fact, too aware. You, nothing passes by you. You notice everyone. You notice everything. And then I'm too self-conscious. Am I dressed okay? Am I moving okay? Am I, am I, should I be standing? Should I be sitting? Or then when you're talking with people you realize that, uh, so you know, there's levels of when you go with guys who've just started drinking, and then like two hours in, uh, there's now guys who are a bit happy. You're like, okay, I can still adjust to this. Then now it, it, when you move beyond tipsy, it's, oh my God, why am I here? Why why am I here? I think I should just leave. So there's some people I never even told I was leaving. I'd, I'm going to the bathroom, I'm coming back, and then I get in the car and I leave. Then I text and I say, oh, so I've left. I see you and I see you, you know, bye, and I go. Uh, for my inner circle it's okay guys I think I've had my my, my time I've had enough I'm going home and for them before it's like, no don't go don't go you know just stay have fun with us I am like no I can't do this it's nothing to do with you this is a me problem I just need to go so please allow me to go so I'd leave and um now ah man like it's it's just be it's sometimes really really hard to navigate life sober. That and I won't lie. You know, there's the freedom Yes, you're off the alcohol and you get to wake up hangover free. That's a very good feeling. But now you're talking to a guy who has a long history of childhood trauma, which has caused me a lot of anxiety up until today. It caused me depression on and off, you know. And with being sober, you have so much time to think. You know, time slows down. You're literally taking everything one minute at a time, sometimes even seconds at a time, you know. And you start getting flashbacks. You start remembering something your parent did, because mine is mostly family-based, you know. My trauma is mostly family-based. So you start remembering things, maybe your mom or your dad did when you know that's 1995, and you maybe never dealt with it, and then a memory just comes up, and you start feeling some weird pain. So sobriety brought me. I think for the first actually year, I got a lot of pain that I had to I had to deal with. And you see, like for me, I'm I'm dry, dry, like no drugs, no booze. It's, it's just me, and then I'm an overthinker. So you get one thought, and then it flies to ten others, and then the ten create another ten, and then you're like, okay, then I get anxiety, even if I'm on medication, but it's not helping. Then no, the usual guys tell you, oh no, try and meditate, try and do your breathing exercise, you know, try and relax, try and uh, um, um, recognize five, um, engage your five senses, you know, look at your surroundings, what color do you see, what <laughs> what do you hear, uh, what do you feel, and I'm like, no, it's not working. I'm sorry I'm, it's not working because the type of anxiety i have nah so now it's okay what's my mind telling me what's my body telling me and it start talking about okay so I have this memory that has come up what is it about what's he trying to say then you see i still i live in the seventh quarter for the for, for my parents house so i still have to deal with the same guys who've inflicted all this on me and there's past stuff and then there's ongoing because I'm right there with them, you know? So I am not. I don't have the option of, okay, let me just leave this house and go live somewhere else. At least at this point in time, I don't have that, that option, you know? So it's how do you navigate life with these guys every day and not drown? Then on the social side, friendships. So my friendships, uh, <laughs> for my inner circle, I thank them, we've been with them till today, that's good. But the other guys who I also thought I called friends, but I realized we were friends because of the plan for Friday, for Saturday, for Friday, for Saturday. That involves both of us drinking, and then they realize, okay, this guy actually says he's not drinking. So you know what? We don't call him. So you find the guys who have plans, and then you don't get a call, you don't get a text, but you go to social media, go to social media, social media, and part of it is you check out the post lives. <laughs> so you check out the post lives, and you're seeing guys that a plan, and this it's like these are like guys who used to call for a plan on a on a Friday, on a Saturday, and they've not called. So you start asking yourself a lot of questions. Is it that? Or what's wrong with me? Is there something wrong? Did I make the wrong decision? Then should I start drinking again so that I can be likable and and involved in certain plans? But then you ask yourself, ah, okay, you drink, then what? The following morning, when it's me who's going through the hangover, the depression, the anxiety, the low moods, um, the low energy, the no appetite, the chest pains. Nah, that, that, that would be my struggle. Even if I called a friend, it's still me who'd be going through it. You know, so I was like, okay, you know what? maybe I guess this is what this phase of my life will be you know there's some people you shed off there's some people who will be add-ons there's some people who will remain and now that adjustment also comes with a lot of thoughts feelings but along the way you know I slowly adjusted and it's been great you know get into a journey of you you and only you first so I started paying attention to my body a little bit more um my mind more and then I didn't I wasn't able to do a lot of therapy at the time because cash flow became a problem. But I got to build very, very good friendships where I can now talk about stuff that I go through. Because before, I was always the guy present for everyone. But I was never present for myself because I, I didn't think that I was worthy of You know me sharing my story in that sense, Uh, because I always thought that oh, you know, because my childhood trauma history is really long. I'm like, no man, this girl just keep talking about this stuff over and over again. I don't think people wanna hear for it. I didn't want to be a burden to people. So now I got a space where I'm like, okay, I guess I can talk about this stuff and people will actually listen, people will respond, people will reaffirm me, people will reassure me, people will actually stand by me, check up on me. And now that I started receiving that, and it's very new to me because I don't get it at home. Our dynamic at home is a bit different. So I don't get it from my family, which I would love to. So now it's okay, let me get it from my friends and and, and telling myself that that's still enough. And I remember, uh from back in the day, even when I was doing therapy, there's something that I probably maybe didn't share with my therapist, that a lot of the reasons why I went into therapy, two main reasons. One, of course, to sort of get to learn myself a little bit differently, get someone to show me, you know, uh, see through me and, and and tell me a couple of things that I may not be seeing uh, on my own. But the other thing was to to change my family dynamic, to get my parents to love me, validate me, respect me. You know give me attention the things that i i i needed growing up that i lacked those are the things that i really wanted to get out of you know doing this therapy thing but then you realize in healing that sometimes it doesn't work like that you know this thing you really really want it's burning inside you and the person you want it from is just living the life and they there like yeah this is my normal day i wake up in the morning and i do my thing and i you know i leave the house i come back home and like the next day is the same thing and now it's okay how can I do this first for myself? And then two, because you can't do life alone, or rather you shouldn't do life alone, how can I get it from, you know, who, who will give you know, give me this? So my friends have come through. My friends have really, really come through. And I'm still adjusting to it because a lot of my, my perception of how life should be is that I should get this love from family first, you know, friends later. That's because they are on the outside. They're not in, you know, the, the inner circle of family. But now I get to understand when people put the hashtag on photos, friends who become family, now I get it. Because my friends have come through in such um, um, grand ways and I'm forever indebted to them. Relationships and sobriety. So I think at the time I got sober, I when I just finished decision to make sober, I was seeing someone. But that 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 ended not too long after. So now it's I've been single. I, I tried to date again. Whoever I dated at the time, briefly though, but a few things happened. Yes, now remember when I was telling you that after my two friends passed, my drinking changed because there was the grief and then there was the, you know, resurfacing of the childhood trauma. So now I got sober and the stuff that I had been suppressing and pushing away and avoiding caught up in this relationship. Now, the thing is for me, I'm very self-aware. I'll be able to tell you that I'm off, I'm not okay. But you know, when you go through especially anxiety, there is a level of safety you want to feel with someone around you, and with the envir- if there's someone around you, that person, and then the environment around you, the level of safety. So for her, I mean, she had a great heart. You know, she was a good, she's a really good person. But the thing I didn't feel was that level of safety, and I struggled with how to express that to her so that she could get it, and you know, for us guys to work on it. But again, also sometimes. It's also an individual journey, you know, and I think that you also have to do. You have to create that for yourself as well, you know. So and I think I also didn't know how to navigate that. Then came about another thing, which was, uh, you know, now us guys trying to relate with one another at that time. So, I mean, we we were good friends, as much as how we were also like trying to date and stuff. But we were really good friends. But what now I realized that for me, because that time in my life, Things were still very fresh and raw, and even if time had passed, but everything was still all over the place. I'd not come to terms with a lot of things. So when we were dating, you know, it's it's she drinks, and that was okay with me. You know, I I I never had a problem with that, and it was not it was not a thing for if she drank, it would get me to want to take a sip of of whatever she was drinking to feel no. But I think it was now, how do we relate? Because I realized that when I was drink, when I stopped drinking, I became, I was, my introverted side that I've always had came and came full blown, you know, and she's social and she's bubbly and stuff. And I'm there just all mellow. And like, okay, is everything okay? And I sort of used to get into my head a lot. So as much as I was with her, I'd be in my head a lot thinking and wondering. And, you know, the most you'd get is, are you okay? Is everything okay? But beyond that, it's, I didn't get more support that I felt I really needed, and then I think it sort of just hit me harder because, also at home, I don't like really get that constant sort of support. You know, where someone not just asks if you're okay, but they are present when you know you tell them that you're not okay, and that they'll just be there with you all the time. So I had a chat with my therapist at the time that I was talking to, and just like I don't think. She's great and stuff, but I don't think she's my safe zone. So I think this needs to end. So we had a long chat about it. And eventually, yeah, I made that decision to, you know, sort of like end things. It was a bit abrupt. Uh, at least I, I can see it from her side. It's sort of like a, a spot decision kind of thing. But I had a chat with her and I just told her that I think I have, I have a lot I need to work on. And at this point in time, let me not trash you and say that you're a bad person. You're not my safe zone. and I don't, Just like, let me just go in. Let me go do the work. Let me go put in the work um, and then let me just see how that goes. So, been single for a while, you know, almost two years. And then now trying to date again. Oh, my God. (sighs) Now, there's, what type of person am I looking for? You know, and and it's not just to do with looks and, and even personality. Personality is a big thing, for sure, you know. But then now it's relationship with alcohol. Like, for me, that's a really, really big thing. What's your relationship with alcohol? You know, and it's no judgment to in on drinks because I, my friends, my friends drink. In fact, I think in my innermost circle, I'm the one who's sober. So they they drink, but it's when you drink, how how are you? You know, and then how am I? You know, how do I receive you as well? So now you know, got to a point. I'm like, okay, let me let me see what's out there. Because at some point, I was just like, not around date, doing this. And I'm like, let's see how they are. And the experiences have been uh, really interesting. You know, you meet guys who they can peace themselves, but then you realize there's no conversation. Then there's these guys who find there could be conversation, but they just start drinking, it's, it's, it's an overshoot you know, within one and a half hours, it, it's, you moved from sober to tipsy, and within two, three hours, they're drunk. And I'm like, ah, okay. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know. So, um sober has gotten, with with the space of dating, Sober has got me very, it's got me on edge, because now I tend to think a lot. I tend to wonder, okay, am I in a safe space? I don't know. Am I presenting myself okay? And then there's the fact that, you know, again, my trauma. So I keep you know going to that i'm like yeah i know this is a part of me as much as how i've been doing the work and i've been healing and i think i've been doing a damn good job at it it's, it's it's part of my life story there's me and then there's this trauma that so like who who can i talk to my biggest thing was now who can i talk to about this stuff and they will still look at me the same because for me i kept thinking because of what i've gone through and now that i'm sober i don't think i'm desirable you know so i'm like okay who who will look at me and be like, nah, you know what? Doesn't matter what your story is, you're that guy. I still look at you like a you know a, a beautiful human being who deserves all these good things. And it was always in my head that I don't think I was that I was capable of that. So I'd look at my you know people around me, whether it's friends, acquaintances, um, you know, navigating the spaces of dating, and they all they each have a story. You know, um, some of stories I know them personally. Some of they are flourishing, and then they'll you know just. Just having a good time and whatnot, but now that there's me, and I'm like, ah, oh, I don't know, can I do this? Is it really me? I don't know. So I kept, even if there are chances where I, I could try and date, I was like, nah, let me, let me, let me keep away from all this. So then there is level of now trust. So I realize now again, before I was too trusting, but I think because of experiences that I've had in my life, so I've, I now have walls around me, and I'm very open about what that looks like. So it's who will I be able to relate with to the point where I know I'll just be, my God, will, will lower, you know, go down slowly and slowly and I'll be good to just be my, my really, really true self. So <laughs> the thing has, in that life, in that aspect has been, yeah, you meet all kinds of people. And then the thing is, it always now stays with you. And maybe you're in a setting again where there's drinks. And then an hour in, you realize, or oh, you ask yourself, why am I here? Why am I here? But you you removed someone from the house. (laughs) You can't in an hour say, I think it's time for us to go. It's no now you have to take this in, you know. And then there's how people talk to you when they are drinking and how they talk to you when they are sober. So it was a direct reflection of what I used to do. I I I knew like because again, me being uh, an overthinker, generally shy. Guess don't believe that, but it's true. And then now bringing anxiety. You know, when you're drinking, all that is thrown to the side so you will you will send those risky texts you will send everything you will be so flirtatious and whatnot the morning after and you're like ah what did i do what did i say why did i say that and then i withdraw so outside realizing that okay so i'm talking to these people when they're drinking yeah everything sending all those texts and then when they're sober it's it's a whole different vibe but i couldn't even be mad Because I've done this before, you know, like it's not my first already, I've done this before, I've been this person. And now it's like, okay, can we have that conversation of, okay, you know, there's the way you are when you drink, there's a way when you're sober. And I mean, you drink, I'm not going to tell you not to drink, but it's now creating scenarios where we can have conversations in sober spaces. So that's now become a very big thing for me. If, if, if I'm now trying to navigate that day, even now, like I'm trying to navigate that dating space, it's having intimate time in sober spaces, because now that way uh, I get to see this person for you know the authentic self, no booze, you know? And then now it's, yes, I may be uncomfortable in the beginning, but now it's sitting in the uncomfortable state and get comfortable at some point, you know? Because I also had a history of some time of sabotaging stuff when it feels like it's too good to be true then I'd I'm like nah I don't think and it's so subconscious you know you just find yourself pushing this person away and you're, like, you're now seemingly very busy you know I'm only in a meeting and I'm not busy I'm, I can create the time but later on of course I realized so I had to confront that that part of me when I was sober that you you, you can't keep sabotaging things that look good and yes there'll be moments where it get a bit uncomfortable tense and stuff like that but just. Work through it. I don't think any week passes, and I don't have maybe two to three people asking me about this sober stuff. They have the mind to get sober, to want to get sober, but they don't know how to do it because now there's okay. How do I? Um, I know my drinking is not conducive for me anymore. It's not. It's not doing it for me. I wake up feeling worse than than you know maybe before, and they're all acknowledging one thing there's a level of some trauma that they've gone through but they don't know how to now navigate this other space of being sober for me it takes a lot of guts first of all to even admit that you know okay where i've gotten with my relationship with alcohol is that i am I, you know i'm suppressing stuff you know but those things resurface so there is now a level of acknowledgement that this stuff is is, is being done the drinking is to suppress, and the morning after, definitely those that those those thoughts, those feelings, they really resurface. What I'd say, I guess, is keep challenging yourself. Keep toying with the idea that yeah, I think I should get sober. I think I should. It's a good idea to get sober because with the drinking, it's just a diversion. It's just a diversion, you know. And you'll feel good for the moment. You'll be able to not think about your problems. You probably not even cry about them. You will probably laugh, dance. If you want to get intimate with anyone, you'll do it. You know, and it'll feel good in that moment because you're in that space. And the thing is, for me, what has worked is I always think of the day after. In fact, what has gotten me to be sober for as long as I have is thinking of the day after. The feeling of I can't control my thoughts, I can't control my feelings, and then I'm stuck in a bed. That is what got me to be like, you know what, I don't want to drink. And it's not to say that for the time I've been sober that I've not been tempted to drink I have. You know, even when I'm in settings of with guys either way in a bar or I'm even just at home and I'm thinking of, wow, a beer right now would be good or a rest or a double or a shot would be really good right now. I always think of the morning after and how I know I will feel. It's not even a surprise anymore. It's, it's I, I know how I'll feel. So I'm like, nah, can't do it. Talk to people as well. Um, I guess talk to people who are in the space of you guys can have those deep conversations because I feel like a lot of guys don't have a lot of guys don't have that. And this is both for men and women. You know, um, they don't have circles of friends where they can have conversations of, I'd like to get sober. I'd like to get off drinks. And you guys actually have a conversation about it other than, yeah, that sounds good. I think you should try it. Let me know how that goes. You know, me calling my friend on on Wednesday, that Wednesday, you know, where I told her that over lunch, that I, this is what's happening. And she just told me I get take a break. And then we, we talked for a long time. So we talked about family, we talked about relationships, talked about friendships. That decision to say, okay, let me do this. Let me take this break. On was 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 affirmed right there and then because it was not. She didn't pacify the conversation. She didn't dismiss anything. She told me go for it and do it, and I'll check in on you every now and then. So, go to friends who you can have that conversation with to very very deep levels, so you can ask a lot of stuff that you feel you're going through, because the temptation is that, uh, and I think I've been seeing this really now that I'm sober. Most guys will come to me when they're drinking. And tell me about stuff about toying with the idea of getting sober but when they're sober i not get that it's very few people who give me that call so for me it's been two years five months and yeah i've had an amazing group of friends who've taken me through this uh, this this period i definitely look forward to many more years along the way i've gotten to meet other people who are on the same journey uh, even if we're in different social circles but Talking to them has really helped and got me to just be like, yeah, I think I should do this. Then when you meet guys who are even doing, who've done it for, someone comes and tells you, I've been sober 14 years. I'm like, what? What do you mean you've been sober 14 years? How is that? Then I realized, no, wait, it all started with day one. You know, no no one just woke up 14 years later. Like, yeah, so I'm sober, you know. Two years, five months in, uh, I look forward to another, another many more years ahead. All this means, you know, just... Getting to you know, relearn, unlearn a lot of stuff and then relearn other things that I probably didn't add, put aside. Get to fall in love with myself. Get to accept certain sides of me that come with the fact that I'm sober. I'm not the guy who used to drink. Yes, there's parts of me that are the same, but the things that are different, you know. Then, especially navigating my introverted self. Ah, oh, man, like I realized that my social uh, threshold is very short. I'm with girls maybe one hour, two hours, and I'm already looking for my exit. So, you know, so when some girls get surprised that I show up maybe to a club and I'm still with them maybe beyond midnight, ah, oh, are, are you sure it's the same guy? You know, so I'm not trying to expand that a little bit, not be too comfortable also with just being at home again, you know, so. And then just doing different things that I, I, I like when I'm not in a setting where guests are drinking. So whether it's working out, whether it's reading, listening to podcasts, um, and cleaning, those are the four big things that I really do. And they keep my mind really, really occupied. And it's been great so far.
0: Catch more African stories in the next episode of Legally Clueless. You can watch Edgar share the story on our video series. That's on our YouTube channel. There is a link to that in the show notes. But how... Amazing was that story. And to really zero in on what I mean, it's like just how insightful him walking us through how sobriety affected different parts of his life. Especially that relationship one. I hadn't thought about it in that way. And I was just like, wait, what? Actually, yeah, I thought you could and it's great and nothing else gets complicated. But, you know, it's not as straightforward. Completely agreed with him when it comes to like the disruption, especially a heavy night out brings. The older you get because you don't just snap back (laughs) (laughs) the way we would back in the day. Oh, I do not enjoy that. Like it governs how much I'll drink. And even New Year's, I was the person who was like eating, taking shots and chasing it down with tons of water because I was like, there's no way the first day of the year I'm going to be out. (laughs) No way. So I completely agree. It's it's exhausting. And while he was talking, I was just remembering certain things that we normalized during our heydays. (laughs) I sound so old when I say that, but like in my 20s, uni years, I used to hang out with this group of Guys that would party a lot, you know. And I think, I mean, um, I think the, the friendship had a lot of good times. But I also think it was really based on crazy nights out. So I don't think we all knew each other too well. But there's this thing that looking back, I'm just like, was that normal? We used to call it the longest yard. So you leave your house on Friday and you come back on Sunday. And you're just like drinking nonstop. In hindsight, I'm like, what the hell? What was the use? What was the reason? (laughs) You know, and it's, oof. Even just thinking about it, like my stomach is like, aye. let's not go back there but ugh, there's nothing normal about doing that you know Ugh, but i just can't get over how clearly he walked us through his sobriety journey and in case you're listening to this and you want to connect with edgar in the show notes i've put a link to his twitter and his instagram okay speaking of links uh if you want to share a story on this podcast all you have to do is fill out the google form in the show notes and i will get back to you. Also, you can catch this podcast on Trace Radio in Kenya. All you have to do is go to traceradio.co.ke for a list of the frequencies, which, you know, is dependent on where you are in this big, beautiful country. Yeah, catch the podcast there every Monday, Wednesday at 11pm and 12 noon and every Friday at 12 noon. Also, I have not complained about my neighbor's noises for such a long time because the apartment opposite ours became vacant abruptly like (laughs) one morning there was a family and that evening there was none (laughs) we were so we actually think there's something wrong with that apartment because like nobody stays for long it's wild but friends (laughs) okay let me know Let me be careful because last time turned out my neighbor was listening to the podcast. But I mean, they're great. (laughs) Welcome to the neighborhood. If you're listening, But They have a dog. They have a dog who, you know, we're in an apartment block. so And we're on the third floor. So they can only, you know, walk the dog every so often. Which I think is like the downside of having puppies or dogs in apartment blocks. It's just... I don't know if it's good for them. I digress. So that dog has the greatest pair of nostrils because literally, I could just be at the other end of the corridor, making my way to the living room, and it'll immediately just start like huffing and puffing and like scratching the door, and it's just like, oh my goodness. I genuinely think the solution is me just moving. But then I wouldn't have like good updates, noise updates for you. But hey, if it's not children, it's dogs. Where are we headed? (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to this episode to the very end. Audio episodes go out every single Monday. So I'll catch you next week.